Welcome. Welcome to Lincoln Square Presbyterian Church's online worship for May 3rd. We gather here as God's people, and we trust even as we're worshiping apart that God's Spirit calls us to worship and God's Spirit unites us to Him and to one another. And as we begin, I want to take just a few moments to remind you of some different things. One, keep encouraging you to go to the church's website. You'll see there updates and links to online gatherings or different ways that you can contact the, the church and let us know how we can pray for you or support you. Also, just a reminder that part of the YouTube channel that we've created not only has worship videos, but the children's ministry has been putting up lessons and crafts and stories and music. So I encourage you, if you haven't seen those, to go and check those out. Well, as God calls us by His Spirit to come, He does so in the welcome of Christ. And so as we begin, I encourage you to take a moment to even pause the video to uh, welcome those you're worshiping with, if you're worshiping with others today, or to send a, a note, a text or email to someone else, or to offer a prayer of peace uh, for someone else at this time. And also Christ calls us in His generosity. So in, as part of our worship, I encourage you to give. You can go to the church and find ways to give to the work of the church or to the Benevolence Fund. And it's a reminder again, if you have needs or ways that the church can help you, please let us know. The deacons want to be a support to you in this time. Well, we gather in God by His Spirit to worship. Let's take a moment of quiet to prepare ourselves to worship. Good morning. Our call of worship today is from Psalm 42. We invite you to sing along with us at home. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. Why they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for shall I again praise him, my salvation and my God. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, 
and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. Why they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. gather before God, we're going to come before God in prayer. As a note, how, how we're experiencing this difficult season changes from week to week, or maybe more specifically even uh, day to day or hour to hour. And however we are experiencing uh, our circumstances, however they're impacting us, God is present and invites us to come to Him by His Spirit to bring our needs, our prayers, our hopes to Him. So I'm going to pray uh, for us, and I invite you at the end to pray on your own, to bring your own needs or confessions to God. And as I mentioned before, I invite you even now to, to pause the video, to take a moment to check in with yourself how you're doing, 
or if you're worshiping with others, to ask them how uh, they are feeling and how they're doing at this time. Let's come to God in prayer. Lord, we do confess and we give thanks that your spirit is what binds us to you and to one another. It's not our goodness, it's not our strength, it's not our ability to persevere or to handle everything rightly, but it's your grace and faithfulness, your steadfast love. And so, Lord, in light of your faithfulness, we come to you confessing that our lives, our community, our country, and even to all the world that we can see through news or other means, we are disrupted, disturbed by what is happening through this virus. Everywhere we look and all that we read reminds us that governments, and businesses, activities, hospitals, schools, families, and all human beings made in your image are struggling under the burden of this virus and the circumstances around it. Lord, we have anxious hearts as we face a barrage of questions regarding timelines and openings, when things will start again or when opportunities will arrive. Lord, as we look towards that, we also acknowledge that our hearts are heavy, fearful of what tomorrow will bring. We lament the sickness and mourn those who have passed away. We worry about the future and how things will unfold or how things will impact our health, our finances. Lord, we confess that we do not know how to rightly respond to all these challenges or questions. And so, Lord, we give you thanks that you are the God who is not just the creator of all things, but the one who has drawn near in Christ. And we, remind, we give thanks that you invite us to come to you, that you are the one who carried the full weight of suffering of, of a broken world upon yourself, as you hung on the cross. And you are the great healer who invites us to come to you in our weariness and our burdens. We're thankful for this reality because, Lord, we confess that we are not strong enough to carry all that is being asked of us. And, Lord, that we are tired. Tired as our schedules are interrupted. Tired through worries. Tired through things being unknown. And so in this weariness, we join with the words from Psalm 61 and Psalm 62. Hear our cry, O God. Listen to our prayers. We call to you when our heart is faint. Lead us to the rock that is higher than us, to the highest rock. Lord, we are battered. We feel like a leaning wall, a, a tottering fence. But God, our soul waits, waits for you. You are a rock in our salvation. In you, we shall never be put to shame. Help us to trust you in all of our days and to pour out our hearts before you, for you are our refuge. Lord Jesus, we do pour out our hearts to you and we ask that you would guard our lives, guard our church, guard our families and our neighborhood and our city. Guard us, Lord, from shutting down our empathy. Guard us from viewing our neighbors as a source of danger. Guard us from considering our fears apart from you. 
Lord, we pray for those who all, all around us, our neighbors, our church members. Lord, we pray especially for those who are feeling anxious, that you bring them your peace. Lord, we pray for those who are unsafe in their homes. We ask that you would protect them. Lord, we pray for our neighbors, those who are working in dangerous settings. We pray for those who are lacking medical insurance or who lack adequate care, those who are alone, and those who are afraid to seek help because of their legal status. Lord, we pray for those who are sick, that you would heal them. When you pray for families who have lost loved ones or who have loved ones who are sick, we ask that you'd give them hope and encouragement. And Lord, we pray for all those facing financial hardships or uncertainties. We pray for provision. And Lord, we pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ that we would have solidarity beyond all of our own resources, our own personal experiences, that we together would find hope in you, Christ. And Lord, in all these things, we pray that the church would be a representative of you, gracious and loving, that we would find hope and offer hope and comfort in the midst of these times. I, ask, I invite you now to pray your own prayers of requests or needs to God. We give you thanks for Christ and that by it's his, his grace that we can come to your throne knowing that you hear our prayers. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning. Our New Testament reading this morning comes from Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 30. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. 
And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And our gospel lesson this morning comes from John chapter 14, verses 1 through 6. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go, that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is the word of the Lord. It's good to worship with you and I'm thankful for a chance to look at God's word uh, with you. In this uncertain time, I, I mentioned previous weeks, it's a good chance for us to think about the church calendar and how the seasons of the church help give us a shape to our schedules and to our time. Uh, we're in the season of Eastertide. It's the time between Easter and Pentecost, and it's a, a time in which we're invited especially to think about the significance and the nature of the resurrection of Christ. And so during our sermon series, we've been looking at passages that invite us to think deeply about the resurrection and about the hope that it gives to us. And this morning, we're going to continue that. We're going to look at section, a section from 1 Corinthians 15. In fact, we're going to look at this chapter over the next two Sundays, 1 Corinthians 15 is one of the key passages in the Bible that speaks about the resurrection, about the significance of Jesus facing and overcoming death. Today we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 15, verse 12 through 28. And in our passage, we'll hear these truths. If Christ had not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. For as by a man, Adam, came death, so by a man, Jesus, has come the resurrection from the dead. Our passage invites us into the hope of the resurrection in the face of our brokenness, in the face of death. So let's look at our passage. Again, this is 1 Corinthians 15, verse 12 through 28. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain and your faith is in vain. We're even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, 
so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ, then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom of God, to kingdom to God the Father, after destroying every rule, every authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, for God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when he says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is expecting who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. This is God's word given for our good. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you give us your word, a word that is true. And we thank you for Christ, how he entered into our sin and death, but did not just bear it, but Lord, overcame those things, those enemies. And so, Lord, we thank you for the truth of this work, and we pray that not only would we hear it, but that we would find our hope and rest in it this day. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as I read our passage, it's kind of a long passage. It has two parts, and our sermon will have two parts as well. There's two parts. Both explain the centrality of the resurrection to the Christian faith. In the first part, Paul argues in the negative. Here's what is lost if the resurrection is not true. And in the second part, Paul argues in the positive. Here's what the resurrection accomplishes for us. So our two parts of the sermon will look at these two parts of the passage. The first part, the negative part of saying what's lost if the resurrection is taken away, it starts saying, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? We might ask what's, what's happening here, what's going on kind of behind the scenes. And just to speak a little bit about that, Corinth was a sophisticated Greek city. And the message that one was bodily raised from the dead was viewed by many as unreasonable, as backwards. And that why Paul's message about Jesus was compelling, many, especially the elite, saw the discussion of the resurrection, literally the resurrection of the flesh, as foolish. As foolish. Now, questions about the faith and what is or is not deemed foolish change over time or vary in different cultures. But we know that there are always pressures to reinvent or to adjust Christianity as something more understandable, less strange, less unbelievable. As an example regarding resurrection, some have said Christ was raised from the dead is simply a poetic way of saying God's truth continues. Or even after the cross, I still regard Jesus as my leader. Or ask, isn't it more reasonable to talk about the resurrection as a metaphor? A metaphor for spiritual change or enlightenment. And Paul writes that such views... Such redefinitions deny the fundamental gospel proclamation. Christ was raised from the dead. In order to stress the centrality of the resurrection, Paul then goes and gives a series of losses 
if this aspect of the proclamation is changed or denied. If Christ has not been raised, our proclamation is in vain, and we are false messengers about God. You see, he says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is useless, and you are still in your sins. If Christ has not been raised, those who have died, those who have fallen asleep, are lost in death. You see, without the resurrection, our passage inviting us to see is that the gospel is a false witness. It's empty, and our faith is useless. He even says we are to be most pitied for holding such a useless or empty idea. Now, these are very uh, obviously strong statements. And I want us to hear the, the, the depth that Paul is giving to them, but not just the seriousness of them. I want us to see that Paul attaches the, the question of the resurrection to our personal situation. He says that this question, did Christ actually rise? It gets to the heart of things in our very being, to the realities of human sin, and to the guilt and to the shame that comes with that. It gets to the heart of our human mortality, our death or the death of those that we love. Earlier this week, I saw a cartoon, a one-panel black-and-white cartoon. I'll, I'll try to do justice to it. But I want to paint the scene. It's a, a picture of an apartment, apartment scene, with one roommate sitting on the couch reading and the other roommate stepping into the room from the kitchen. Behind him in the kitchen, there are flames of fire, smoke rising. And as he steps out of the kitchen, he casually asks his roommate, Maybe this is insignificant, what with everything going on in the world, but do we have a fire extinguisher? <laughs> Maybe this is insignificant, what with everything going on in the world, but do we have a fire extinguisher? I laughed at that cartoon. And maybe you can laugh or think and picture that as well, that we are facing unprecedented challenges out there in the world. But if we're honest, there are challenges inside in us as well. I actually think the cartoon is a profound, kind of inviting us into this fires that are burning maybe in us or in our families or in our homes, to think that not only is there a problem outside or danger outside, but we run into challenges or brokenness within us. I'm not simply referring to discomforts or boredom. The virus not only has created challenges, but reveals those that have always been present. It has not created our deepest problems, but rather brings new attention to these fundamental problems. We might be seeing or recognizing in new or old ways the brokenness within us, our limits, our struggle with a lack of control or uncertainty, our struggle with addictions or worries, anger, pride, harsh words, hurt or brokenness, disconnection in our relationships. You see, Paul, when he speaks of still being in our sins, or those who have died being lost, he's directing the question of the resurrection. There's not just something out there, some theological question, but he's bringing it inside 
to the things that are fundamental to us, to a personal place? Can we remove our own guilt? Can we remove our own shame before a holy God? Can we redeem ourselves from that which binds us? Can we find hope in the face of death, our own or those that we love? One author writes, Our circumstances invite us to remember and to face one of the most basic truths about our existence. Contingency. Contingency. A future which is possible but is not certain. I do not have to be. I am dust and breath. And apart from God's life-giving breath, we all sink back into the dust. Our first parents turned from trust of God's goodness and laid their hearts on the altar of self-sufficiency. I'll take care of myself. I will control things. I will find what I need on my own. They sought to reject or remove contingency from life. This altar, this approach, brought the fruit of guilt, shame, and death. And it left them to face these enemies on their own. Paul is inviting us into this situation that wasn't just for Adam and Eve, but for all of humanity. In fear, we want to take control, but we are unable. In fear, we want to know the next days or the future, but we cannot hold such things. It's in this situation that Paul is writing, if Jesus died but did not rise, then he has not overcome what we face. No resurrection means Jesus tasted the weight and shame of our sin and the pain of our death, but did not defeat them. If Christ has not been raised, there is no victory over our greatest enemies. There is no change to our situation. So your faith in Him is useless. Without the hope of the resurrection, our passage is inviting us to see, without that hope, we are standing on our own with our normal resources to face the evil of the world, the sin within us, or the death that awaits us. So those who deny the resurrection are not simply tinkering with an aspect of the faith, but they're questioning the foundation of our hope, hope in the face of our deepest needs. Soren Kierkegaard offers an image that I think is helpful for us to continue to wrestle with this, the personal nature of this question. He writes that we long for certainty, for control, but faith is not like one who trusts a little, not like one who swims in the shallow waters with a host of waders. He says, no, true faith, the faith that Christ calls us to, is a big thing. It's like one floating over the ocean depths. Not floating within reach of land, but floating, he says, over 70,000 fathoms of water. You see, our passage is inviting us to, to say, if we are honest about the world, and about our condition, about the questions, about our sin and mortality, our inability to redeem ourselves or to protect ourselves or others, this is not like playing in the shallows with waders, but it's like floating over the depths. 
And if we're honest about that reality, then we know we need more than our strength, our kicking, our paddling. For the waters are deep, too deep for our own resources. You see, the Christian faith does not simply invite us to a collection of insights or some ethical principles. It's not a handful of waiters for the shallows. But our faith is hearing and trusting a true message of God's actions that Christ entered the depths and that God raised Christ from these depths to bring forgiveness and new life to his people. See, in the first part, we see that the resurrection is fundamental to the Christian proclamation. It's empty without it. And the second part of our passage and the second part of the sermon is to ask then how does it accomplish this or what does it accomplish? How does it give us hope in the depths? And this second section starts by saying, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. In fact, Christ has been raised. And I want to take this statement apart. First, that Christ died and that Christ raised. And we can look at those two the rest of our time about what this tells us about the resurrection's accomplishments. First, Christ died. We preach Christ crucified. Jesus was judged and rejected. On the cross, Jesus took upon himself the unjust violence of the world's powers. He took upon himself our sin and death. And the resurrection invites us to look directly at the evil and the powers that shamed and crushed Jesus. As part of seeing the resurrection, we have to see his death and what was happening there. It invites us to see the depth of the powers and the evil that worked against him. In an article titled, The Essential Workers America Treats as Disposable, Maeve Higgins writes, It's not every day that the shutters of a mansion fall away and a flood of light illuminates each dark room. Besides wrecking havoc on people's lives and our economy, the COVID-19 pandemic has ruthlessly exposed what's been hiding in the cracks and corners of our nation. In particular, the light reveals the inequalities regarding health care, access to supplies, or government support. Research says that those in lower economic strata or less privileged communities are likelier to catch the disease. They're also likelier to die from it. And even for those who remain healthy, they are likelier to suffer loss of income or health care. Now, you might know this personally. Or you might now be seeing in new ways these cracks and corners of our communities. Neighbors, classmates, co-workers, suffering in a system that is happy to use them, to use their labor, but to deny their worth or their value. You see, in the face of such laments and realities, this invites us to see that Christ died. He entered into such brokenness. But not just that, to announce that Christ was risen. For we not only acknowledge that things are broken, but we proclaim that Christ has risen. That here is the good news. In his bodily resurrection, 
Jesus faced the greatest powers and evils of the world, those that were happy to use and dispose of others for their own ends. He faced the corruption and the violence, the rejection and the execution, human sin and death. He faced these evils and he overcame them. God vindicated him through the resurrection. You see, the church, we have been entrusted with this good news that the world's systems that deny the dignity of those made in the image of God ultimately lack power and do not merit our loyalty. Though they are shown as transient and ultimately false by the overwhelming power at work in Christ as he was raised from the dead. His body, his new body, showing that these powers are not the ultimate word. You know, Christ raised. Christ died, showing us the, the brokenness, but Christ raised. This is the great event that changes everything. It says to you and to me and to our neighbors who would hear it, that there's something more, something greater than earthly powers, greater than even death. With Jesus' resurrection, the gospel proclaims that on Easter, a new world, a new kingdom has started. In it, the power of sin and death no longer has the final word, in our lives. See, this is what Paul is describing in our passage in the second part. Then comes the end when Jesus will deliver the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he's put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. You see, at the heart of these systems, at the heart of our brokenness, is the reality of death. The door that's always been shut. Death is an intruder, a violator of God's good world. Death is an enemy, and anyone who has faced it personally or in the lives of those around us, we know it's true that it is an enemy. So God's answer to death cannot be to reach some kind of agreement or compromise. Death must be defeated. In order for the kingdom of God to be fully established, to start anew, for the fall to be changed, the curse to be undone, death needs to be defeated. For death came by Adam and his rebellion, his choosing self-sufficiency. But life comes by Christ, for in him is the resurrection from the dead. And in his kingdom, we have a new possibility. Do you see that Christianity is the announcement to the world? It's a proclamation about the true king who entered death and rose victorious. And the wonder is that this risen king did not just do this for himself, but that he did it as a representative for you and for me the anointed one of God who establishes a kingdom that we now can sit under his rule, his grace, have identity as his people. And so today, as we walk in faith, as we walk in hope, we do so walking as part of his kingdom, not the systems or the powers of the world. This time at home, this time when we are required to stay separated or stay at home, maybe it's been a time to work on projects to get some things finished. Maybe you've had that experience. Caught up on cleaning things up, emptying drawers, closets, garages, 
emptying your email box. It's a good chance to work on different things. But those projects, why necessary? They also remind us that our attempts to get things finished, to get things all wrapped up, has limits. Attempts to finish the unfinished has limits. There's always more details, always another task. Our attempts to finish the unfinished has limits. For how can we clean our own hearts? How can we fully reconcile? How do we live in faith when everything seems upended or uncertain? Even in the face of our efforts, so much in life is unfinished. And this unfinished reality, I even invite you, if you see that within yourself or see it in your closet or in your drawers, the unfinished realities of our life in us and around us is the context in which we entrust ourselves to Christ. In Christ, the risen one, we shall be made alive. In Christ, the risen one, every rule and a power and authority is put in its place. In Christ, even death, the final enemy, is destroyed. All my tomorrows belong to you, Lord Jesus. All I am is yours. It is good that the finished work, the true finished work in the ultimate sense, is not ours to do, but that Christ has acted for us even in the depths. So let us give thanks. Let us walk in faith and hope. Let us wait for Christ and his work. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for who you are. And I thank you, Lord, that you meet us by your word and spirit. And we pray, Lord, that in your grace that you would encourage us and lift our heads this day. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's sing again together. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but only lean on Jesus' name. On Christ's solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, all other ground is sinking sand. When darkest veils his lovely face, I rest on
darkness and strife, the sunny side you also may view. Keep on the sunny side, always on the sunny side. Keep on the sunny side of life. It will help us every Receive now God's blessing. May the love of God the Father, the grace of our Savior Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and always. Amen. <laughs>